We're in a series called Love Like Jesus. Love Like Jesus, it's our third week in the series. The first week, Jay uh, walked us through, uh, look, looked at loving those on the fringe. What we mean by that is loving those that are the poor, those that are in prison, those that are in need. Loving like Jesus towards um, those in society that our society has, has placed a lesser value on. So because of Jesus and his love for us, we are to love those on the fringe. Amen? Let's try that again. We are to love those on the fringe. Amen, church? All right. Last week, we looked to Jesus and we follow him in the area of forgiveness. Right? In the area of forgiveness. That's one part of the Bible we'd like to skip over every now and then, right? Like forgiveness, I don't know about that. But Jamie walked us through that text uh, last week and, and, we, and we see Jesus really say, hey, love like me in the area of forgiveness. Jesus says, love others like I have loved you. When your debt, when your sin was so big and unpayable, I forgave you. I wiped that clean. So when another has a debt or has a sin against you or someone has offended you or hurt you in one, one way or another, we love like Christ by forgiving. And this morning, I want us to look at Jesus and how he loved regarding being with us and, and community and relationships and fellowship. We get a great picture of, of one thing that was of great importance to Jesus while he walked this earth. In the book of Matthew, in the very first chapter, in the very, the very last chapter of Matthew, chapter 1, we see an angel of the Lord. He says this, he says, Behold, the virgin, right? We know who that is, right? Mary. We said, the, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. It's Jesus. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. Church, help, help me out with that. Which translated mean what? God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. He came to be God with us. And we can miss that if we aren't paying attention. Jesus came to be with us. And then Matthew details us for the, 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 the life of Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection for us. And then he says this, speaking to followers of Christ, before he ascends to be with the Father, those that have a relationship with him, the followers of Christ, he says this. He says, hey, go and do this. Go and make disciples, right? Baptize and teach. But then he says this. But remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So here's what we see at the very beginning of Matthew and the end of Matthew. We see God with us remains with us. Amen? God with us remains with us. You see, from the very beginning, even before the beginning... God has always been about relationships and doing life together. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying and he's talking about his relationship with God the Father, the love that they had even before the foundation of the world. There was a genuine relationship, there was a love between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit before anything else was created. They were before we were, amen? Man, they, and they had that relationship when God created man. How did God make man? He created in his own image. That's relational. God made man able to live out God's attributes. God was, or excuse, yeah, God created Adam and he, he created him with the ability to reason, Right? That's not something we learned to do on our own. Right? We had, he created man with intellect. He, he created man with will. He created man with emotions. He and Eve were designed to be relational. We too are designed to be relational. Men, let me help you out here this morning. Just because you're a man doesn't mean you're not built to be relational. Amen? You have emotions. 
Amen? Let's do that. Come on. Y'all, y'all with me. All right? We see in Genesis chapter 2 that God saw Adam alone. God and Adam walked together. They had that relationship, but Adam needed a companion. Someone to do life with. He was incomplete without another person to compliment him in the role that God created him for. So God created Eve. Right? God created Eve for them to have a relationship, to be in community with one another, to do life together. You're going to hear me say this a lot, but God has always been about relationships. He's always been about community. When we think about sin entering the world all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Sin enters the world. The relationship between God and His greatest, His greatest creation was broken. There was separation. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we see God's plan to heal that separation. That separation happened, and then we have that first mention of the gospel right there in verse 15 of chapter 3. So we know that Jesus was promised, right? He he was going to come to forgive and to save us from our sins. He would come to pay your debt and my debt. He came so that we could have eternal life, to give his life as a ransom. In other words, what that means, he died in your place, Right? We celebrate Christmas, which is fantastic, but Christmas, it's the whole picture. You need Easter as well, right? The the birth is great, and and the, the, the virgin birth is awesome, but he came to die. And church, he came to restore the relationship that we broke. Do we get that? Like, he came, we severed that. Like, if we look at it, there's no sin in God, amen, church? There's no sin in Him, but there's sin in us. So, so He came to restore that relationship so that we could be His and spend eternity with Him. Men have tried for years, for centuries, for decades, for all of that stuff to, to try to do it on their own, but it doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how religious you are. It doesn't matter how many prayers you've said. It doesn't matter what you've done. It took Jesus. How do we know that? Because there's been some good men in the Bible that the Bible says walked with God. Are are we getting that? I mean, we start comparing ourselves to some of these big men and women in the faith and in the Old Testament. Man, can it be said about you that you walk with God? And those men still needed Jesus. Those women still needed Jesus. It took Jesus to restore that relationship. When I think about relationships, some of the, the closest and tightest relationships that we have, man, I've got my relationship with my wife. And we have a relationship with our kiddos. Are you guys with me? Those are some tight relationships. I love what we see in John chapter 1, verse 12. It says, but as many as received him, those that have received Christ as their Lord and Savior, they've made him Lord of their life. It says this, to them he gave the right to become what, church? Children of God. Even to those who believe in his name. Whoever believes and receives Jesus will become children of God. Jesus and God, have, they've always, it's always been about relationships. I've got to throw this out there. If you're sitting here today and you say, man, I've been, a, I've been a religious person. I've gone to church. I've said lots of prayers. I've done all those things. Or you know what? I've rejected Christ my whole life. Know this. He came for you. Right? Jesus came for you. He gave his life. He rose again for you so that you could have a relationship with him. There's nothing that you or I could ever do, ever, to accomplish restoring that relationship with Christ. And so he came so that we could have a new life in him. So that we could spend eternity in relationship with Him. So let me be very clear. There is no relationship with God outside of a relationship with Jesus. Are you with me? 
Man, we live in a we live in a world where you walk down this or you drive down the street and, and I'm not picking on anybody or hating on anybody, but there's a there's a sign on bumper stickers that says coexist. You know, there's the mountain theory, there's the idea, there's many ways. That's a lie from hell, church. I just need to lay that out there for you. You see that nowhere in scripture. There's one way and it's through Jesus. That's not a pompous statement. That's Jesus coming and dying and giving his life for you and say, When there was no other way, I made a way. Amen? Are you with me? All right. I got a couple amens. We'll get there. We'll get there, guys. All right. He pursued you. He died for you. He rose again for you, and he wants that relationship. But he, in that relationship, like my boys aren't in charge of me. Are you guys with me? Sometimes they're not in charge of me. All right. But but he, in that role, in the in that relationship, he has to be in charge. He has to be the Lord and Savior. So our hope this morning is this: How do we look at Jesus? And how do we love like Jesus in regard to relationships, in regard to community and doing life together? And so my hope this morning is that we can look at the life of Jesus and see and learn from him. And then also look at the early church and see their focus on community and doing life together. So we're just going to open up to John. We're going to walk out. I'm just kidding, man. We're going to be able to look at everything that Jesus did relationship-wise or every time he had community or did life with someone. But I think it's important for us to learn from the one that we follow. And Jesus loved in many ways, but he loved in relationships. So let's do that. Were you, guys, you guys with me this morning? Yeah? We're with me whether you want to be or not, right? We're going to do this, right? So, so we're going to look through and take a quick look at how Jesus loves in community and in relationships, and see why it's important for us that we do the same. It's vital. Let's see the master do life with people, and then see how we can learn from that. John chapter 1. We're just going to walk through some of this real quick. John chapter 1. Jesus invites Peter and Andrew to do life with him. Right? They, they say, hey, we want, to, we want to follow you. And he says, come and you will see. Right? He says, come and you will see. And, and they came and they, they stayed with him. Jesus goes into Galilee later in that chapter. He finds Philip and he invites him to to what? Follow me, right? He says, follow me. We see Jesus do that as he calls his disciples. And as he calls us, he says, come and follow me. Do life with me. Learn from me. Serve with me. Let me lead you. Follow me. He's inviting them into a relationship. The whole idea of following Jesus, it doesn't simply mean that people kept an eye on him. Right? It doesn't mean that, that we got his new book when it came out. Right? It doesn't mean that we just kind of moved and watched wherever he went. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean that we pulled up his Twitter page and clicked follow. Right? I say that because that's how we follow people today. Right? He didn't, he didn't do that. To follow Jesus in the context of Scripture and in the Gospel, it means that he is inviting us and them into a relationship. He's inviting us and them into a whole new life with him. Here's what it means to follow Jesus. That means that a person gives themselves completely to Jesus. Really, it's, it's us inviting him in, right, into our lives, letting him be Lord, letting him live his life through us. You guys with me? We've championed that as a church over this last year. Let God live, or Jesus live through us. We read repeatedly throughout the gospel, Jesus sat with his disciples. He ate with his disciples. He broke bread with his disciples. He fished with them. He even cried with them. He teaches them and serves with them and, and, and prays with them. Mark chapter 3, verse 14 says this, and he appointed 
12, the disciples, right? He appointed them so that they could be, say that with me, with him. All right, let's try that again. Are you guys ready? You guys aren't playing this game really well. You've got to participate, all right? And he appointed the 12 so that they would be with him, right? And that he could send them out to preach and have the authority to cast out the demons. Jesus wanted them to do ministry, right? He's inviting them into that. But don't miss that he appointed them so that they would first be with him. Be with him. Jesus didn't do ministry or life alone. He did it with them, with us. He uses us. Why are you repeating all of this stuff over and over again? It might not seem important, but, but we see Jesus with the people. And when we look and we're disciples of our teacher, Jesus, we have to follow what he did. We see Jesus sit down with a man named Nicodemus, right? He sat down with him, he talked with him and about being born again and, and what it means to have a new life and eternal life in Christ. John chapter 4, I love what Jesus does there. Jesus meets with a Samaritan woman at the well. And we know, you look through scripture, we know that he intentionally went to the well at that time to be with her. He doesn't send her a Facebook message or an email or give her a phone call and say, hey, I hope you're doing good, I got some living water for you, right? He's with her. Jesus could have had Facebook back then. I'm just letting you know, man, I mean, he's Jesus, right? No, okay, he didn't have it, all right. So he sits with her, he talks with her, he talks life with her, he tells her who he is and what he offers, he, he invites her into a relationship, he says, I've got this living water so that you'll never thirst spiritually again. And I love what this woman does, she immediately leaves from there after this conversation, and she goes tells the other community that's rejected her, and she says, hey, you gotta meet this guy! you got to meet Jesus. Like, come into this community and see Jesus. We continually see Jesus with the people. He healed the sick when others refused to go anywhere near them because they didn't want to get what they had. Jesus went to them. John chapter 6, we see a large crowd coming to Jesus. Instead of sending them away, Jesus feeds them. I love the, the imagery and the, the, what Jesus lays out for us and how he's described in John chapter 10. He's described as the good shepherd. Listen to what he says. I mean, just think, think about this through the lens of, of, of community and relationships. He says, I, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, right? And I know my own and my own know me. And then he even says this, even as the Father knows me and I know the Father. That's relationships, guys. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Those that I know and love and they love me, I lay down my life for him. Listen to his words. He's not only our shepherd, he's our good shepherd. There's a lot of bad shepherds out there. Amen, church? Let's try that again. There are a lot of bad shepherds out there, right? Amen, church? We are his and he is ours. Right? We, he loves us so much that he's willing to lay down his life because we are his. We belong to him. He is with us. And he came for this relationship. And this relationship with us, it was worth his own life. It was worth his own life. I mean, we could go on and on and on. Stuff that we miss a lot. The way Jesus did life with others. And it was with many. Jesus reclined at the table and had community uh, and a meal with tax collectors and sinners. Right? He would sit down and, and be with them. But we're satisfied talking with people that don't agree with us and do life differently by blasting them on Facebook and stuff. He's with them. 
Are you with me, church? He's with them. Church, he feeds 5,000, but then is willing to sit down with one or two people. He goes into the city to be with the people. I love this about Jesus. He examples for us throughout his entire life the importance of being with people. The importance of relationships and community. Even right before he died, I mean, picture this. If you knew you were going to die, even if it was the greatest reason in the world, he knows he's going to die. I might go and have like an anxiety attack or I might need, I might have my last meal or I might, you know, fix me some pot roast and throw some tacos and put it all in there, right? What does he do? Pot roast. Matthew 26, verse 20. Now, when the evening came, Jesus, listen to this, Jesus, we're, we're talking about before he experienced the worst pain and separation, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12 disciples. Even in his biggest, hardest moment, he didn't leave. Are you with me, church? He places a high value on being together in relationships and community, doing life together, serving together, eating together, learning and growing together, doing life together. When we look at what it looks like to love like Jesus in regard to community, we see it first in his own life. And then we're going to see it in our passage today laid out for us in the first century church. And so if you, if you don't have a Bible, there's one at the end of the row. And if you don't have one, take that sucker with you. It's yours. It's our gift to you. We're going to look at Acts chapter 2. It's in the New Testament, second half of the Bible, right after the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 2, and our text might sound familiar to you, but I believe it is one of the best, maybe the best, to illustrate community and relationships, doing life together in the church, being with one another. So leading up to this, our text today, in the book of Acts, Jesus, in the beginning of Acts, Jesus lays out the command. He says, be my witnesses, right? Go and share the gospel. Tell others about me. Share who I am and what I did. And then after Jesus ascends to heaven to be with the Father, the Bible tells us there was about 120 people that gathered. Now keep in mind, there were thousands that followed him. But about 120 people gathered together in the upper room and they united and they prayed. They knew to be the church and to be the witnesses of Jesus that they needed to be. They needed God, so they were dependent on him in prayer, but they also were dependent on one another. They united together. Let me, let me say that again. The early church, right, these 120 depended on one another. They united together. Then Peter gives a solid message. He really preaches the gospel to those. They, they just rejected Christ, and he preaches. He says in Acts 2.36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He continued to preach of Jesus to them, and the Bible tells us that they were pierced to the heart. They were pierced to the heart. Peter, he calls them to repentance. He calls them to follow Jesus. Do we know what repentance is? We look at that as like a bad word. Oh, don't, I'm an American. Don't tell me to repent, man. But Jesus, our creator, says, you need to stop following you. Follow me. Turn away from your sin and turn, away to, to, turn towards me to live the life that I've called you to live. Give me your life. Make me Lord of your life. And here's what we see. Verse 41, so then those that had received his word, those that entrusted in Christ as their Lord and Savior, they were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. 
3,000 people added to the community, added to the body of Christ. So we have Peter sharing the gospel. About 3,000 people hear and believe in Jesus and who he is. And and the Lord saves them. And he brings them into his relationship, right? Into a relationship with him, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but also with other believers. They're added to the community. So you have about 120 people, right? And now all of a sudden you've got about 3,120 people. That's a big growth process, isn't it? Man, we've got trackers on our growth and all that other stuff, but how awesome would it be to grow by 3,000 people? All right, I guess you guys don't care. I care, man. That'd be awesome, right? The text is so great. We can learn so much from what we see here in these next 42 to 47 verses, but I want us to look at this passage through the lens and the goggles of community and relationships. Can we do that? Are you guys with me? I told you all we're in for it today, man. I haven't preached in three weeks, so you guys are... I hope we can look at this passage and and see their dedication to doing life together. All for the glory of God. That's it. For the glory of God. To accomplish His mission, to what, for what He's called us to do. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They, the church, the believers, the community, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. You'll notice this word, it's important for us to hear. They were continually devoted. I want to I be clear on this. this. Meaning this wasn't something they just did every now and then. Or they just kind of accidentally showed up at community, you know, church or whatever, you know, authentic life church in Acts, right? I'm sure that's the name of it. Had to have been, right? They were intentional about these spiritual disciplines hearing God's word, praying together, the Lord's Supper, but they were also intentional about fellowship. That word fellowship is a great word, and I think in our day and time we've kind of ruined that a little bit because when we think fellowship, we think potlucks. And that's part of it. Amen, right? I mean, that's good stuff. It's good stuff. But it it has the meaning of partnership and sharing. That's what that word means in the Greek. It's a word that talks about partnership and sharing. When we trust in Jesus and receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we become members of his body, the church, this community, right? We're all different. We're, amen, church, we're all different. Look, look at your neighbor, man, say, you are different, right? Do it. Don't get yourself in trouble, man. I was just kidding. Don't really do it. Right? But we're all different, right? We're all different. But God says in his, in his wisdom and his sovereignty, he, he puts us all together. Right? We become, we become members of, of His body. We become partners and we share the responsibility with other believers in the church. Romans speaks of the fellowship with one another in the church. He says this, Romans chapter 12, Paul says, be devoted. It doesn't say sometimes check in. It says be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Not social media love. Brotherly love, sisterly love, that family love. Give preference to one another in honor. Hebrews chapter 3, 13. But encourage one another day after day as long as it's still called today. How do we do that if we're not with one another? Hebrews 10, 24. There's some instruction for us as individuals and also corporately as the church. Check this out. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Hold on to your pants. Here's a tough one. Not forsaking our own assembly together. As is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. 
So they, we're going to talk about it being the habit of some here in a little bit. So they were continually devoted to the teaching of God's word and prayer and the Lord's Supper and also to fellowship. We don't know what else they were doing. They may have been playing a softball. They may have had a softball league, George. They may have been out there, you know, doing those types. We don't know, but we know they were devoted, and it was important to put that in God's word that they were devoted to those things, including fellowship. Verse 43. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders. Notice, everyone. They're together, right? And, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And so God was using the apostles and, 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 and letting them do wonders and signs. And, and all those who had believed were what? Church, say that with me. Were together. We're going to try that again. They were too together right and had all things in common and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need time out before we go too much further i just want to lay this out this is not a formula for some sort of socialism that's not what we're seeing here it's not a formula for social socialism or communism and i and i say that because people will use this text in that way this is this is isn't them living in some sort of forced commune. That's not what you're seeing here. This passage is showing that people were so devoted to the church, to the community, that they were holding on to their possessions lightly. You go up to my son and ask him to give you his new little toy that he got for being good at school, right? And it's PJ mask, right? You, you ask him, hey, can I have... The... He's not giving that up. Right? He's not going to hold loosely. He's going to hold tightly. Right? Use those with you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Kim, you know what I'm Jay? I mean, you know. Okay. All right. So, so whenever a need arose in the community, they held their resources lightly. They were so committed to one another. They knew what was going on in one, one another's life that, they, that if a need, a real need arose, they didn't hesitate to say, hang on. Let me see what I've got. Well, let me see how I can help you. And even to the point where they said, hang on. Let me go and sell what I have because you're in need. That doesn't happen outside of relationships. Let me go and sell what I have to to help you so that you can live for Christ. That's what we see here, a devoting to community and what God is doing. Verse 46, day by day continuing with one mind. We can't get like three people to agree on everything. This church, 3,120 people were devoted to one mind in Christ. Are you with me? They're after what God wants. Where are we at? All right. One mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. When's the last time you had someone over? They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of the heart, praising God and, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved the community of believers church they were together they were in relationship with one another they came to worship god and 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 be be the church and also being in prayer and being on mission for jesus but we cannot miss that they were also all in on fellowship and doing life together in the community when we talk about loving like jesus jesus was all about relationships community doing life and being with others And right here in this first century church, what do we see? A church, believers that were all about it as well. What has happened? There's a study recently done that suggests that doing life together and having community is more difficult now than it has been in the past. 
Keep in mind this study was done in really the Western, modern Western world. But the realities that came out were just, they're just, some of them are silly and some of them were just eye-opening. So we're, gonna, we're not going to look at all of them, but I think it's important for us to just see some trends that happened. The author and leader of this study stated that one of the things that changed relationships for the worst, I was thrown off by this one until I read what he was talking about. He said one of the things that changed relationships for the worst was the air conditioner. Now here in Tucson, we say thank you, Lord, for the air conditioner, don't we? Right? And if you don't say that, you're nuts, right? Right? So we are glad the AC is the reality. Whoever created that thing, thank you, Lord, for them, right? But just hear what he has to say on this. He says that before the air conditioner was a reality, where do you think people sat on the hot evenings? They sat out front on the front porch or outside somewhere, right? They were outside. The AC came out, the people, they spent more time inside. It makes sense, right? I mean, but that's what they did. The author pointed out the change from the detached garage to the attached garage. People would park their car, they would walk from their car to their house. Now people, right, now people would pull in, they get out, they don't have to say a word to a neighbor. Now we got this little clicker thing, right? And so we pull up to our house, we roll our windows up, right? We have to do that because somebody might say something to us. We roll our windows up, we click the little clicker, the garage door goes up, unless it's mine because mine's broken at the moment. And so, you know, it goes up and then we pull in and guess what? We shut that thing before we even get our car turned off sometimes, right? We shut it. We shut it. The author talked about the fence. We put fences up in our yards for good reason. I mean, there's security and all that, but, but I mean... Really, we're keeping those pesky neighbors out, right? I was at a home recently, I'm not going to say whose it was, but where the neighbor to this person had, had, you know, we got those block fences. You guys with me? Those stone, whatever they're called, those block fences, right? Those red things. But I walked in this backyard and, and they had added, these neighbors had added, not one, not two, but three sets of bricks on top of what was already there. You could tell. There's like fresh color and, you know, faded color. I'm going to have to figure out what that neighbor did to have them per- that person put three blocks up there because it wasn't on any other side. It was just right there. But, but this, does anyone remember when the answering machine came out? Right? The answering machine came out. Yeah, I know some of you are like, what's an answering machine? Josh, it's, a, it's an old thing. I had a, all right, all right. So I remember, I remember when I was little, we would always race to the phone. I got it, right? I'm going to get the phone. I'm going to, I'm going to get the phone. We would race to get it. But then we got that new answering machine. I think my parents still have the same recording now on their answering machine they had about 20 years ago, right? Some of you guys do too, I bet, right? You guys are looking at it. But with the answering machine, we don't have to talk to anyone. We don't want to anymore. We can now screen our calls, right? Honey, don't, 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 answer, don't answer that phone, right? We don't know who that is. Let the machine pick it up and we can talk to him if we can, we can interrupt. Oh, sorry, I just, just got out of the bathroom, right? I just ran into the house. You're standing right next to the answering machine the whole time. What, after, what came after the answer machine? The caller ID, right? Now you don't even have to listen to a person's voice anymore. You know, oh, it's Jay. I'm going to answer that one. But delete, I'll answer you. I'm just going to pretend, okay? But, oh, it's Levi. Delete, like, you know, we don't, have to, we don't have to do that. You guys know I'm right, right? You see, we, ha- we used to have to go into the public, out where people are. How strange, Right? And actually, chance running into someone you know at the grocery store, right? Goodness sakes, you might actually have to talk with someone, right? They might have to, hey, you know. But now they have this pickup 
section thing going on, right? You go online and you order your groceries, right? You, you get to the store. Do you open up your door? No. Man, you make a little phone call. They bring it out to you. It's so great, right? They bring you the food. The only one you have to say hi to is the person bringing the groceries out, which is great. Why? Because they're in a hurry to get back in the store to get more food. Yeah? Okay. All right. And you're, and, and, and you're sitting in your car grinning over there because you see somebody from church. You're like, I don't have to say hi to him and get caught in a conversation with him. You guys are looking at me like I'm nuts. You know I'm right. You know I'm right. right? Now, just a couple days ago, if, if you're a child, plug your ears. The news about Toys R Us. Right? Toys R Us closing their doors. Closing up shop, and one of the main reasons given by the financial uh, experts was given that, that more and more people are shopping online, right? Let's be honest. When was the last time some of you ever stepped into a store, right? With people, right? With people. We click a few buttons, right? We, we, uh, we, we click a few buttons. Two days later, it's at your front door, right? And here's, here's the thing. If you want to, you can just wait a couple seconds. That driver will be gone. You won't even have to say hi to him, right? Now, all of this change in technology is a huge blessing, amen? It is. My wife is grateful that she doesn't have to get sometimes four kids out of the car to walk into the grocery store. And I'm grateful because then I have a happy wife. Amen, men? All right? She can order online. She can drive up there. You call, right? And they bring it out to you. I'm sure my wife, because she's extroverted like I am, you know, but she's, she's kind. She'll talk to them. You can have stuff delivered to your, your front door. You know, you don't have to run into Target with three or four or five or six kids or whatever you got. Excuse me, whatever you got. So it can definitely be a blessing, but what else is it doing? It's making us more and more alone. It's making us more and more unrelational, more and more independent. We are less and less likely to be around people. You don't even have to have real relationships or friendships anymore. Right? I was talking with a young person the other day, you know, talking about his friendships. Well, I talked to him online while I'm playing a game, and it's like, what? What? Like, no, like when you actually looked him in the eye, oh, we don't do that. Right? We don't, we don't do that. We can make a person feel better. Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help your self-esteem. I'm just going to hit accept to your friend request, right? Or follow that person on, on Twitter and have that kind of fake community with them. We're, we're doing life less and less, less with people, even within the church. Even within the church. We and other churches are happy to have our sermons online, so we're with you today, guys, Right? But it was never meant to replace gathering together. You're out of town, you're sick, you're unable to be here. That's, that's what that's for. You, you need to catch up or you want to, it was so good of a sermon, you're just going to go watch that again three or four times, right? You guys with me? But no, you're not, no, we don't do that. But it was never the intention to replace gathering together. We're meant to do life together in community and in, in relationships. And what we see here in this early church is a great example of what we, as followers of Christ, are to experience. When we look throughout God's Word, what we see over and over again is God's design for community. We're even warned, church, and I I don't use that word lightly, we are warned in God's Word about the dangers of not gathering together. We're encouraged and really we are commanded to be intentional about being together. 
doing life together, not just on Sundays, but also during other opportunities where we can learn and grow together. We have life groups here. But even over a meal, you might have to have someone over to your house. Jesus knows that we were designed to be in community. He's all about relationships and community. And because of that, Jesus loved us and exampled for us loving one another in community. I want to share a really, really sad statistic with us. This statistic was done out of people that call themselves followers of Christ. Not just American Christians, those that say, oh yeah, I believe there's a Jesus. We're talking about people that say we are followers of Christ, we are Christians. Committed, committed Christians are saying that they are okay with going to church once or twice a month. That's the new norm. It's worse in Tucson. It's about once a month in Tucson. Once or twice a month. Committed followers of Christ. I know we divide our months out into four weeks, so we're like, hey, we're hitting it once or twice. That's half the month. No, it's two. Two days out of 30. Throw a life group in there, there's four days out of 30. Are you with me? That's the new norm. Let that not be the norm at Authentic Life Church. Are you guys with me? Are you, are you, you get what I'm, are you, are, you, are you tracking with me? Does that make sense? Church, to be together, to do life together, to be in community with one another, it is God's design. It's not my design. It's not Levi's design or anybody else. It's, it is how we are to love one another. Jesus' exampled community. We saw it earlier throughout, his, uh, throughout easy times and tough times. Jesus pursued a relationship with us. Being with us was important to him. He did the hard work so that we could be called the sons and daughters of God. And all we have to do is follow him, give our life to him, and let him be the role that he needs to be. His role in the relationship is to be our Savior and Lord. We see those bumper stickers. I'm going to pick on bumper stickers again. Jesus is my co-pilot. He's in the wrong seat. In that relationship, he needs to be driving that thing, and we probably belong in the trunk. Are you with me? And when we have a relationship with Christ, we also have a relationship with one another. That's his design. And we live in a world, even with great technology, that makes it easier and easier for us to hide. We can call it what we want, but it makes it easier and easier for us to hide. Our technology has brought many blessings, but it's brought barriers and division and separation. We don't have time to be outside for anything anymore. It seems as though we don't need anyone anymore. But what, what, has, uh, what that has brought about is brokenness and separation and division and unhealthy independence. And so I want us to see this from the early church, a church that was dedicated to God's word, dedicated to the fellowship and Lord's Supper, and dedicated to prayer. Church, they did it together. We don't see in the New Testament church Lone Ranger Christians. We don't see in the church Lone Ranger families. We don't see it. It's not God's design, it's sinful. It is. Let's just call it what it is. Are you with me, church? We are designed to be together. So three takeaways from this passage. There's a blank spot on the back of your bulletin if you'd like to use that. Chapter 2, verse 41 says this. Try to walk through these quickly. Those who had received his words were baptized, and that day they were added about 3,000 souls. When people were saved, they were added to the body of Christ. They were added to that community, to the body of believers. 
Chapter 5, verse 14, and all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to the number. The Bible tells us that these men and women were baptized and they were united with the local church. Our first takeaway is this, a first step as a follower of Christ is to identify with the body of Christ. Identify with the body of Christ. You see, when we give our life to Christ, we are His, right? He gives us our identity and He brings us into His body, into this community. And we see here there was a physical act, there was a public profession. Baptism does not save us, we don't see that anywhere in Scripture, but we have to be obedient in that. They were united with the church and with Christ, and they were showing that publicly by being baptized. They were identifying with Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection, and then also with the church. And we're all unified. We get worried. We get, we get worried. Let, me, let me throw this out. We get unified in being... We, I mean, we get worried about you being unified in dumb stuff. Let's just throw that out there. Dumb stuff. What kind of style is this? Or what clothes do we wear? Or, or that thing. Man, we are united in Christ and His mission. Amen, church? Amen. We're going to try that one again. We're not, in, we're not united in dumb stuff, all right? That, that's Greek word for something, I'm sure. Dumb stuff. Right, Jamie? Are we... No? Okay. So, yeah, he's... he's, he's we're united in Christ and His mission, amen? Because of the death, the burial, the blood of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is how we are united. They received the word, they trusted in Christ, they were saved, they were baptized, and they identified with the body of Christ. The second takeaway is this. The next step is intentionally invest in the body of Christ. Verse 42 through 47, we see people of God, the church, being intentional and investing in the body and the community. Verse 42 makes it pretty clear. They're continually devoting themselves to the teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. They studied the Word of God together. Do it privately, but you study the Word of God together. They did life together. You see in these later verses, they shared, they ate together, they cared for one another, they were with each other, they took care of one another, they provided, they took the Lord's Supper together, they prayed together, they served together. In their day and in our day, we have to be intentional. Because things get in the way, right? Life happens, schedules get full, right? This early church, they were so devoted to one another, they were so willing, they, they, they sold what they had to help out one another, to, to be on mission for Christ. They got together, I can, I can imagine, they got their little Google calendars out, and they're like, all right, David, we're going to do lunch what day this week, right? No, really, what day? What are we going to I'm just kidding. All right. So, so they, get, they get, right? They get their little disciple calendars out and they're like, what, what day, Jamie? What, when are we going to hook up? When are we going to do lunch? When are we going to go to the movies? When are we going to hang out? When are we going to pray together? When are we going to study together? When are we going to have some sweet tea? Amen, church? None of that non sweet tea stuff. I'm just, no, I'm just kidding. I can go either way. I, there was a discussion happening on Facebook this past week, like, a, you know, one of those fake community discussions, right? Where there was, uh, a fight about sweet tea. I'm just kidding. All right. Eric is going to get, get, I'm going to get in trouble later. Sweet tea, unsweet tea, we're good. All right. We're going to get together and be joyful. Play a little softball game, right? Watch some basketball. Can you imagine the disciples hanging out and watching March Madness? I'm sure they would have been upset with U of A game too, right? Share some recipes. You know, they did life together. They did life together. They, they too had busy lives. Church, they had people that wanted to kill them because they followed and loved Jesus. They needed each other. They made it a priority. They found a way to make it happen. Here's the thing. God is not surprised by our new technology. This passage about being devoted to fellowship is just as true today as it was then. 
He's not caught off by our air conditioning or attached garages or answering machines and fences. He's not thrown off by our busy lives. He's not thrown off that you have two, three, four, five kids. He's not thrown off by any of those things. The Bible and God's design has never changed. And I think we have to be honest and say this, church. I need you to hear me on this one. God's design has never changed. Our priorities have. Hebrews 10 And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembly together as some are in the habit of, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. God knows it's going to get hard. He knows things and and, and people are going to be pulling at you. But his word says, don't miss being together. Each of us, in where we are in life, let's ask God, what does this look like for me, for my family? What do I need to do, God, to intentionally invest in your body and my community of believers? How can I love like you in my church? And the last thing is this, let's invite others into the body of Christ. People don't want to be invited to people that don't like each other. I'm just going to be honest with you. You know, we... we we haven't run into this, but many things, many times people will come to a church for the first time and they will leave. They've been greeted and they're loved on, but they don't like how they love on each other. You know, if a, if a guest walks in and seeing me and Levi not talking with each other, or, you get what I'm saying? Man, we need to love one another, but, but we got to invite others into the body of Christ. The lifestyle they were living, it was attractive. The world's looking and saying, man, what do, what, what do they have that we don't? They take care of one another. They help others in real need. They are unified in their mission and belief. They did life together. Can people really like each other this much? It's counterculture, church, to be in this kind of community with each other, to actually serve and care for one another, to forgive one another, to be patient and forbearing and long-suffering with one another, to carry each other's burdens. Who does this stuff? God's people does this stuff, right? We are made for this, to be in this kind of community, actually with one another. Social media is just an added perk. It's never meant to replace doing life together. I need to say amen on that one. All right? Young people, video games were never meant to replace real community with life. In life. Are you, are you with me? It was never meant for that. And young people, I just, wanna, I, just wanna, I just want you to hear me this morning. If that's what you're doing, let's, let's work on stopping that. There's way too much addiction to, to not being in relationships with people. It's fake, it's not real. You need to be outside playing with people and having really, are you guys with me? Parents, I mean, let's be, let's do that with our kiddos. Let's pay attention to what we're doing. That's fake relationships. God says, let's be together. He's, listen, listen, listen to this, listen to this. When we look at, at thinking about inviting others, I'm going to close on this. We can't miss John chapter 13. Jesus is about to die on the cross, so he's going to say something really important. He's going to die, he's going to be buried, he's going to rise again. He's telling his disciples, hey guys, I need you to see something in your life. He's telling us 2,000 some years later, hey church, authentic life. I need you to see something in your life. And here's what he says. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Here's why it's important. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The way we love one another is on display for the world to see. And it will be attractive then because that's how we were designed to be. Let's love like Jesus. We'll be better, we'll be stronger, we'll accomplish more for the glory of God. And that life, it will show the world that we belong to Christ and we can, we can excitedly and with joy invite people into this community. Are you with me? Let's pray.